0: hi welcome to comics unscripted the podcast from foreign press comics i'm your host kyler merrill and today we have um guest eric thurman he's a writer um and an artist um of of comics but also um journalism he's a journalist a teacher does a lot of things I don't really know how to describe it because what you do is very specific. Um, but I guess to start off, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. I'm just finally getting off of class for today and just enjoying a time with you.
0: Yeah, good. Same here. Yeah, like we were talking about earlier, it's just, you know, I just, I just need to relax. And honestly, this is kind of a good way to do it, is just to come on and, you know, just talk to someone, um, you know, who's, mm-hmm. um, you know, hopefully it will we'll get some interesting conversation out of it. But like I, like I kind of alluded to um, your I don't, I, it's hard to come up with a, a title for what you do, though, yeah. so, um, well, before, before we get to that, how about you go ahead and give us, um, tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you come from, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, sure, so usually I refer to myself as a comics journalist or somebody who does long form comics in, um, in a journalistic kind of format. So I usually employ the same kind of techniques that a, a investigative journalist would do as far as research, uh, interview, and then instead of writing my work in the prose, I usually make longer form comics of the work, mm-hmm. whether it be published online in longer webtoon, uh, web comic formats, or uh, published in print. Mm-hmm. Um, as for myself, a little bit of background. Uh, as mentioned, my name is Eric. Uh, I'm current. I'm originally from the state of California in the U.S., but I've lived abroad for the past 11, 12 years or so. During this time, I've lived in the Philippines, in South Korea, and in Chile. Um, predominantly investigating and writing a graphic memoir about the the current uh, state of uh, student loan debt within the U.S. and how it's affected the entire Millennial and now Generation Z, um, and how how do I say it? and how the the neoliberal economic model which is kind of force our entire generation into student loan debt, how it's affected countries all around the world in their education system. And then finally, to also investigate and learn about successful student movements around the world and how they're combating, um, combating the privatization of education and to try to find a solution out of the student uh, debt crisis. Sorry, I'm
0: writing down something that you just said, private, I can't, I can't write. Sorry, it's okay, no problem. A T I Z A T I O N. No problem. I know education. that sometimes I. <laughs> well, like I, I'm, you honestly, like not to brag, but like I'm usually like a pretty good speller. Like mm-hmm. my, like I, I've, I feel like I've always been a pretty good speller. But like I was so, I felt so rushed. I was like, I, I, it just wasn't looking right. But um, <laughs> another thing you you said you do that, or you didn't really um touch. or you're you're also like I said before, you're also an educator. Um, Mm -hmm, So what are you, what are you teaching, what level, where, what are you teaching and like, what level,
1: what, how, and you're currently in Chile? Yeah, so I'm currently in Chile, in Santiago de Chile. Mm -hmm. So I currently work at the International Center of the University of Chile, uh, Chile's premier public university. And I currently teach various different university professors from various different departments to improve their English level for conferences, for academic writing and such. However, before I have taught, I've taught illustration in the Philippines in the high school. I've taught English to high school students, to elementary school students at a university in South Korea and at an orphanage for some time in South Korea. And so I, I have a background in English education, but also in uh, in art education.
0: So how'd you get into that? Like, was that like your, your goal was like, did you want to be in education? Did you want to be in journalism? Like what, what was your goal when you were first, you know, graduating
1: high school? So originally, um, so after high school, I originally left, um, how do I say it? I had a a lot of difficulty at the end of high school, and I didn't really have too much of a future as far as uh, any plans to go to university or, or such. And so there was a period of time where I joined the military, um, mm-hmm. saved a little bit during that time. And then pursued uh, education at San Jose State in California, Mm -hmm. where I studied for a degree in animation illustration. However, halfway through that program, um, there was a period of time that I was uh, going back and forth uh, with the Philippines and just living there and working there and teaching there during my my time off from the normal semester at the university. And I finally came to a conclusion that I, I wanted to pursue illustration more so to talk about the various different social issues and and, um, and stories about my students in the Philippines. And I had a, somewhat of a falling out with my professors at the university who were really situated and really wanted to focus the program onto graduating students to enter the traditional animation industry. Mm. So, you know, it was, it, was a, it, it was one of these university pipelines where they want students to go to Pixar or DreamWorks or yep. Disney and so I said okay well this isn't going to work out for me so I, I, could, I took six months to finish a fine art degree and then I went to the Philippines to live full-time wow. and so it was kind of a de- definitely a huge major change in mm-hmm. my uh, direction I wanted to take my art so yeah
0: no I mean that's a I've, I've been looking into that like like kind of it's kind of serendipitous I guess I've been looking into that just teaching internationally and things like that just just literally in this past week or not just internationally but like online and things because i've been i fell down a rabbit hole on like tiktok and like on instagram of um Mm -hmm. people who live like you know in a van life and like the the people who teach online and so like i've been really going i've been just i've just been going down one of those rabbit holes and so you know i've been really interested in that
1: you should definitely check it out. I mean, as far as just teaching online and just being able mm-hmm. to interact with people from other places, yeah. whether that be in your country in the U.S. or whether that be teaching abroad online or stuff. I don't know how tied you are to, to where you live now. Yeah, but. I mean, I
0: kind of I, I it's one of those things like I am, but I want to not be. But also yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm a very anxious person and I'm afraid that, you know, if I do go, you know, I, I definitely like being able to living, you know, at home, like, you know, I have a, a safety net, you know, Right. I right. Just, and I, I admire people who like you, who just go out and do things like that with, without, I mean, I'm not speaking to what your family is like at all, but you know, with even whether or not you have like a supportive family or not, you know, moving to another country, you kind of lose a bit of a safety net, you know, you yeah. kind of just like <laughs> jumping into it, what, what, no matter what your situation's like. And so that's just like, I just, I really admire people who can do that because that's a big deal. Just to, like I said, you're like losing a lot of it, but it, and you're also gaining a whole lot. And that's really, yeah. I think that's something i get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you you left, um, or you, you, not left. I don't know if you would say you left, but you animation didn't quite work out. Um, we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that um, you're working on that um, in a little bit in that animation field. Yeah. Um, but so... Before we get there, what about your origin in terms of comics, in terms of origin, even if you don't, you wanna go broader than comics um, in terms of just art and illustration and things like that?
1: Yeah, so um, like I said, for when I left high school, I, was, I ended up joining the military just because I didn't really have a home or anywhere to live. I didn't have a job or anything. And so I, during my time in the military, I, I, and going through training, I was very conflicted with the, the direction that the, how do I say, I always had a very kind of um, conflicting kind of view about U.S. imperialism and what the U.S. was doing abroad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was this wars? And I joined the military in 2004. So this was a year after the the start of the Iraq war. Mm -hmm. And eventually I decided during training, like, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm not interested in participating in this. And it was shortly after that I decided, well, you know what, maybe I want to Focus my career and my art on talking about these issues, and that's originally why I pursued uh, studying fine art originally in university, but later in illustration because I felt that the medium illustration is more, and comics is just more accessible for people. Mm-hmm. You know how am I going to be speaking to people from all sorts of more ma- marginalized backgrounds or from uh, poor background if all this art is going to be ending up in in fine art galleries? And this isn't to speak poorly about fine artists, mm-hmm. but but the placement of that type of work would only reach a certain group of people that I'm not exactly wanting to establish a dialogue with. Mm-hmm. No, for so, sure.
0: And I mean, you know, like you were coming off of, you know, like you said, 2004. So it's drive backwards. I imagine there was still, you know, a bit of the cultural, I don't know if you want to call yeah. it a high, but the, you know, the, the U S what the stuff post nine 11, I imagine was still yeah. very high at the time. And so, you know, that was it a was lot like...
1: of, mm. Yeah. So it was extremely strong and everything. And people were still very passionate about, you know, for example, supporting Bush during, um, during this time of war. I, I, not really so much a war, but invasion. Yeah. Uh, even I'm sure like you remember the case about the Dixie chicks and how their, their career was literally destroyed just by speaking out against yeah. Bush during the Iraq war.
0: I, I, um, I'm aware of it. I was, it was like, before I was like knowing what was like social socially going on. Yeah. Because right, I'm, right. I'm like 25 so like it was like i knew i'd hurt i hurt knew i like knew something that happened to the dixie chicks but like right, i didn't yeah. know who they were i didn't know what it was i just knew so, <laughs> yeah. i didn't know until like this last year i was like that when all the stuff was going on where they changed their names to the chicks because of the exactly. racial um implications and so i looked it up and then i found out this whole thing And there's something with toby keith i don't know yep. but um <laughs> anyway but yeah. t- to go back a little bit further what were your um What were some of your comic influences and in particular, were there any, were there any comics that are, that you had read early on, whether, you know, in high school or before, you know, as a kid or, you know, after during post your military career that were in line with the comics that you wanted to make?
1: So this is the thing. So I actually did not have much of an influence by any particular uh, comics or anything when I was growing up. I didn't actually start pursuing drawing or even drawing as a hobby until I entered university and I mostly did so because I I saw the power in uh, in illustration using using the art medium to communicate across language barriers and such. However, once I was in university, I did have a I had did have quite a few inspirations. One of my my biggest inspirations, I think most people are familiar with in in the form of graphic memoir and Narrative nonfiction is Marjane Satrapi from the the graphic mm-hmm. novel Persepolis. Persepolis yeah, um, Joe Sacco was a, another major influence to to me at the time, um, and just generally within this this kind of how do I say like oh and also Art Spiegelman mm-hmm. from yeah. the series Mouse. Mouse and how he and how these particular artists wrote very specific um, detailed well I mean some. It, you can probably say like some of it was journalistic accounts of their particular times in their particular setting, whether you you have the case of Art Spiegelman kind of documenting his father in conversations with him about the Holocaust, Marzane Satrapi, enduring um, uh, life post uh, pre and post-Shah in, yep. in Iran, and then Joe Sacco with his various work, for example, like in Palestine. So I, I became much more introduced to this type of work while in university. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I I, really gravitate. And I really, this work really speaks to me. I, I want to do this type of work. So, and that was that kind of direction that I started taking my art uh, at that time. So. Sorry, I was just looking up um, Palestine. I didn't, I
0: hadn't heard of that. And so I was looking up what it was real quick. I didn't, I didn't just didn't know that that was a, a book. I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, i'll I'll
1: write it in the chat but this person's um name is joe sacco
0: yeah i I found the wikipedia for it but um yeah i just i surprised i was just surprised that you know i hadn't heard of it because you know i'd heard of mouse i'd heard of persepolis i have both of them on my shelf um and i have another one that i haven't read by um uh i don't know how to pronounce the name t we it's newer but it's um those who came before or this i don't remember what it is anyway um it's about the i think it's vietnam it's a vietnamese immigrant i think um anyway that's just what you made me think of because it goes along the lines with those other ones the little bit of it that i've read um and so now i like i said i do have um some some questions about your your books but before that what you're saying kind of or your your comics but what you're saying right now kind of lines up with one of my original points was, um, you, your comics, which are online at, um, ericthermancomic.com. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. Which, um, you know, they go through, there's, I mean, they're mostly consistent in terms of the art style that they use, but there's some near the beginning that are very different and they're very, and then, so uh, what you're saying now, and that, you know, you came from a bit of a fine art background and, and then, you know, you had all these different artistic influences in terms mm-hmm. of fine art and from, um, you know illustration and animation and things like that that right. it kind of makes sense that you have multiple styles or different ways that you're going about that so i mean is there a reason that you kind of started out with that very um i can't remember what the comic is called um the very first one um let me see yeah
1: uh, I need to look, too, because it's been a while. <laughs> I, maybe about, like, 15 years ago. Ah, this one called Cat and Mouse. That was, yeah, I was, at the time in university, I was trying to play with an experiment with various different uh, mediums and how to design comics. Mm-hmm. And this was actually it was actually from an informal assignment in Scott McCloud's Making Comics. Mm. And so I was just very curious about... Um, the what was it? it was simply you have to have a story of three people um one of them is I, yeah, this has been a long time for me to remember but I, I think I remember three people one of them is trying to kill the other and you have to make it not completely obvious and you have to like communicate this through storytelling
0: yeah and I, I just there's a lot of like the line work and stuff and so I mean did you just kind of over time decide that that wasn't what you wanted to do was it a, was it a time thing or was it just a um, like you just decided that wasn't the the look that you wanted to go for in
1: the comics that you wanted to make yeah so like I mentioned a lot of my background is in painting and uh, mm-hmm. whether it be painting with acrylics or with uh, photoshop but I orig- but I started to gravitate towards pen and ink black and white more so specifically because after living in the Philippines for for so long, um, I think something we take for for granted living in the US is that the, the price of books mm. are generally much cheaper than they are um, located in another place. Like even here in Chile, it's like to, to go to a bookstore and to to buy a book, I mean, say like a $20 book in the, the US, $15, $20 it might, once you, once you change for the conversion and everything, it would cost normally about 35, closer to 40, 40 US dollars. And then you add that with, you know, making an income that's much, much cheaper. And honestly, to to afford a full color uh, graphic novel is actually becomes quite expensive and it's prohibitively um, not accessible. So I wanted to work in the medium of just working in black and white, um, no no washes, um, so just so that I can produce my work cheaper, it's easier to copy and it's more accessible to what my audience is. I want to inspire students to, to learn about the various different education systems of various different countries, find out ways how students are organized in other places, and then to help them inspire them in their, their own work and how to analyze their own system of education. I mean, I, I,
0: I've, I didn't think about this till just now, but I, what you just said kind of made me think. I'm definitely going to recommend this to my my dad because he teaches. Um, he currently teaches the current events class for high school, yeah. and I definitely think that something like this would that de- would be a um, something different to look at. You know, um, mm-hmm. I did want to mention. Um, we I so not to um uh, put you on blast on the podcast, but um, mm-hmm. the one of the ones that one of your comics. I didn't read all of them, but I read several of them, and one of the ones that I was interested in reading, um it wasn't available, the, the new Jim Crow. Um, yeah, so, I was really interested in reading it and it wasn't available and I was like, dude.
1: Yeah, so I, I can send you a copy of that. So this, I uh, that. this, this comic, I, I worked with a writer in California named Adam Bessie. And uh, we worked with, at the time, the publication was called Fusion. And this piece actually did extremely, extremely well. It's, it's probably one of my more well-known comics for this. But what happened was um fusion later on got bought out by venture capitalists mm-hmm. and they they turned this this publication along with a lot of other publications at the time around 2018 2019 they saw they saw these publications as pump and dump schemes mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they offloaded a whole lot of debt to these public- publications and let them fail when um when the new owners of this publication actually Uh, took over, they actually did not buy any of the rights to any of the images for the previous previous website. So no photographs from any of this. And so that includes pretty much all the comic. And nowadays the fusion doesn't even exist. So it's not even up online. We have uh, republished the work um, instead through, let me see, it was a publication uh, Monato. Uh, We ended up publishing republishing the work in a collection of comics journalism in a publisher in Spain called Morata in a book called Bessie DeVos School Choice uh, Movement Isn't Social Justice, It's a Return to Segregation in Educación, uh, Que Educación or Education, What Education? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's being distributed through Spain and through Latin America. But we have not gone back to to republish this work in English, which we Mm. need to, because it's very, very important, considering the the rollback of um, uh, public education in the US, specifically Mm. with this whole movement towards banning books and uh, content by LGBTQ creators Mm. and this this whole dialogue i mean
0: obviously like i'm like biased because that's the that's the field that i'm in that's i mean that's why it was more interesting to me but i was just like i was really especially because like you said all these things are happening right now and i've i've been thinking this is going to be the most political episode i've done um because mostly because i'm um dumb but so that's one of the questions i or before i get to my the question i have you brought something up. You said you had, you worked with a writer. Are you usually, um, writing your own comics or are you, um, like, are, what, what, what exactly is your role in the process of making all of these? Like, are you just doing the reporting? Are you doing the art and the writing? What,
1: what exactly is your role? I pretty much do everything. <laughs> do everything. So Adam Bessie was one of the very few exceptions where I worked as a, worked with okay. a writer, but the vast majority of the time I'm doing comics, I'm uh, I'm scripting it, I'm going out, I'm traveling to do interviews with people, um, I'm transcribing the interviews, I'm going through and uh, thumbnailing, I'm penciling, inking the comic. If it's color, I'm adding color to it. Uh, I'm doing layout and design for it. So I pretty much do everything at every single step. Um, some of the stories that, I, that have required travel, I mean, outside of the countries that I've, I've lived in, um, and reporting on that. Like I, I've done reportage on the umbrella re- uh, revolution in Hong Kong where I, I traveled to Hong Kong during 2014 to interview active, activists who were protesting in three different districts of Hong Kong. Um, I was in mostly about uh, economic inequality there. And uh, I also covered the, the impeachment of bakun the or geun Park of South Korea. And during the time, during 2016, she was under a massive uh, 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 embezzlement and corruption scandal where she was trying to offload money to a cult leader in the country. And oh. she's now been impeached and now she's sitting in prison for probably decades now. So there's that. Um, and then here in, uh, in Chile, I. I've done two major investigations. One was of uh, multiple indigenous activists who were who were mur- murdered by the Chilean state at various times within the past uh, decade. There was a case of one activist in particular, uh, Camilo Catrianca, and he was murdered by what I, I guess translating English would be the Jungle Commando, and this was a particular force with the with the Chilean military had received training in Colombia, which was funded by the U.S., and they were particularly trying to suppress a lot of um, protests in the, the southern part of Arakania, an area, a region that was traditionally recognized as the, um, the territory of the, Ma- the indigenous Mapuche, uh, Mapuche. So went there and uh, interviewed members of the community, the, the activist family, for this, and then I in Chile, I've been covering a during 2018, the feminist wave that rocked all of Latin America that eventually led to the first country in Latin America to legalize abortion in Argentina. And then during 2019, during the social outbreak or the social protests, where there was a, a series of protests based on the metro fee increase, where the, the Chilean conservative government deployed military in the streets to try to suppress people from not coming out to protest. These protests eventually led to to calls for this president's impeachment, not successful, but it eventually did lead to the the ending of the the dictatorship era constitution, that the constitution of Pinochet from the 1970s and 1980s. And where we recently within last month, elected one of the student leaders of 2011, uh, as president of the entire country. Wow! So there's been massive, massive social change here yeah. in Chile.
0: Definitely, that's a definitely. Um, and I, I
1: glanced at um,
0: one of the ones that you'd mentioned previously, the um, the one about the indigenous um, activists. Um, mm-hmm. I had looked at that, and that was was really interesting. But so the one of the the question I had just a, a little bit ago was, how what, how is it dealing with a lot of events that? Um, people are just uneducated on because, um, I mean, is there a a responsibility that you feel? I mean, I just don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot to, to, I don't know. I feel like that would be something, could be something potentially difficult because, you know, most of the stuff that you're, you most of the things that your comics are about, I have very little idea. The one, the one that I had was the, that I had some familiarity with was the the one the new Jim Crow that we mentioned before. And so like, the rest of them I'm like I have no idea what's going on and so this is like my first you know look into some of these experiences so what's that like as far as creating comics or just writing anything with the subject matter that is very personal to a place that and writing it kind of for I would think an audience that doesn't know much about it
1: right so I because obviously and it's not just just being in the U.S. and not not having access to this information to other places. But anytime that we we look at and learn about different movements of different countries, obviously, you know, maybe we feel particular empathy for these types of movements or these particular types of people. And that's what I'm trying to capture with my colleagues. I'm trying to relate it to various different feelings that or different movements of other countries that we might be familiar with. For example, the case of the of the military uh, assassination of these indigenous activists. Like I I often kind of frame this in the, or at least try to connect it like for people in the U.S. Ah, well, you know, in last year, or yeah, last year to to two years ago, we had the the Black Lives Matter protests within the U.S. and we had our own kind of uh, reconciliation with police brutality within, you know, marginalized communities and within the U.S. And so how do I make that connection and how do I express that empathy to cause others to care about issues that maybe they're not familiar with the area? Because I do think when it comes to organizing, when I think it comes to um, essentially creating cohesion within our generation all around the world, because we are facing the, the same massive issues as far as climate change, when we're facing the issues with rising inequality and such. You know, I, I believe as a foreign correspondent and journalist, to, like, to, to get people to be interested in fighting fighting battles that aren't theirs, just so that with the context that eventually these people are going to have to come back, are going to be there for, for you when you need them in your own wars. And they can't fight for you with, without winning their own battles. Mm-hmm. Um, so real quick, we're going to take a really quick break uh, for an of ad course. and then we'll
0: be uh, right back. And we're back, and again we're back with Eric Thurman, uh, comics hey. illustrator, journalist, creator, all, educator, all the stuff. Um, so we talked a little bit about um, dealing with, you know, um, you know your what you how you feel about your role as um, a creator slash um, journalist slash educator, like everything that I just said, like what how you feel your what what your job is, but. Um, do you, this is just something that I, you might or might not have an answer to this. Do you see what your comics as more um, an artistic expression or um, journalism? I, I just wrote journalism versus art. I mean, so what do, you, how, what do you see what you do as?
1: Yeah, so I usually, I mean, I, I treat my work as journalism unless it's very, very explicitly in memoir in which I I communicate and I give my, my type of perspective like as far as this whole debate, whether um, uh, my work be uh, subjective or objective, Mm -hmm. like I I feel that it's very important. I don't don't believe that there's any type of objectivity truly within the field of journalism or this idea that we are removed from our subjects. Mm -hmm. I feel truly like um, we should always be upfront to our audience about where we are, you know, as far as what type of person we are and demonstrate. And to, obviously to inform the public, but to, to be transparent in the way that we show our, our point of view with this. Mm. And so this is what I'm trying to accomplish with my, my, my comics essentially, is I am seeking to inform my audience. I want them to be aware of these issues. I want them to take away from things from my work and be able to look at and analyze their, their life and try to change it for the better and try to change mm. society around them for the better. I know, obviously, I have a specific perspective on this and, but at the same time, I think that's important as someone who is advocating, for example, like the, um, who advocates against uh, rising climate change, um, to rising inequality, to the the threat of global authoritarianism and rising white supremacy around the world. Like, I, I want to inform them based on my perspective, absolutely, of why this is important. And so I try to also demonstrate the people around me and, you know, and their stories to, um, to compensate also for this too. And that's,
0: that's an angle that I hadn't even really considered. I'm going to set a timer real fast. So I don't forget to get you out of here. Um, But that's something I hadn't considered is like, you know, because as an artist, you know, you do want to be, objective or subjective you know you want to put your you do want to put your your opinion in there I think that's part of art is you know your you want to put yourself in what you make but Mm -hmm. it is journalism and you know kind of the expectation of journalism is um to be objective or I might have mixed those up but that's an angle I I hadn't even thought of before is that there's a very there I feel like there's probably a very fine line you have to write Mm
1: -hmm. yeah absolutely and I mean first and foremost my goal is to, to seek the truth, and always to prioritize the, the truth in front of it. And I think that's that's especially important for anybody who wants to get into this field. Like, you know, you, you have to take this type of work seriously. You can't, if you're going to present your work as as journalism and as reality, because there is power in that. It's because when you're accusing people from, you know, real life of, of for example, committing abuses and everything, you know, the only thing that's going to protect you is going to be the truth. And so um, I I definitely want to reinforce that. But this idea that we are objective, that we are removed from our subject matter, for example, if I'm talking about, um, for example, in the Philippines, there uh, during 2011, during 2012, 13, 14, around the early 2010s, there was a, a move to privatize Filipino education in the Philippines. And about them, and what had happened was they were trying to expand education there by two years to the international standard, and to have students um, complete two years of like we would say senior high school. And so, what happened during this time is that the um, education system in the Philippines, or and I'm I know I'm going off on a little tangent, but I'm you're back. fine. I probably <laughs> so, so. essentially, what happened was uh, the the school system there ended up not um, uh, not exactly funding uh, the public schools as far as hiring enough teachers or providing funding for the last few years for a lot of public schools. And so instead what they did was they started to, to allow students to, to go to private schools on a, on a private school voucher, kind of similar to what we are experiencing in the US, the privatization of education mm-hmm. with the whole Bessie DeVos's plan for this. And so what uh, what happened was during the first year of implementation, half a million students in the Philippines ended up dropping out of high school during that time. And for me, as a as a former teacher in the Philippines, of course, like d- this includes some of my students. I can't, you know, I can't talk about this story without also talking about my particular yeah. school or my education system. Mm-hmm. And so I I don't think one it, I I don't think it's it's being objective, um, is even attainable in the situation. And then two, why would you want to be objective? Why do you, do you want to say like, well, um, you know, these, these private companies, these private, um, uh, private schools and everything, you know, f- are in the right to ask for mm-hmm. funding from the public to, you know, to, uh, to teach these students. Because I, for me, on, from my experience, that's you know, I it's defrauding the public education mm-hmm. system in order to, in order for profit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, so, I 100%, it was continue.
1: Yeah, and so, like I said, and that's why, like, as far as talking about social issues in other countries like this, you know, for example, like the US has kind of experienced this for the past, um, honestly, for the past 50 years, but more recently with uh, the Secretary of Education, Bessie DeVos, who, who, did this quite quite extensively all throughout the, the U.S. during the Trump administration, and we still see this privatization. We see the privatization after uh, Hurricane Katrina in two thousand six, when uh, when New Orleans was being built and the entire education system, a lot of um, public goods and services were completely destroyed, and it was a it was a way for a lot of these private schools to kind of institute themselves into the New Orleans system and build this as a Public private education system. And I can also compare it to Chile, which also has this kind of system.
0: Yeah. Uh, and like like you said, it's just, it, it, it's kind of bringing a lot of things to light just for me in terms of like noticing. I imagine it kind of does for you too. You're kind of, you begin to notice patterns. You yeah. Know, you begin to notice things that are happening
1: all over the world. Um, <laughs> very similar events. Um, and it's like, it's the, it's the story of our generation. Maybe yeah. the, the names and the places change, but it's the mm-hmm. same story.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, it, like I said, this is kind of, it's kind of just awakening, like just mean, I'm a no, Now that we're talking about these things, I'm noticing, beginning to notice like patterns and things and noticing like, you know, issues that are happening here, there's similar things that are happening in, you know, or in ways that are similar to things that are happening, like in Hong Kong and things like that. And so, you know, there's a lot of similarities all over the world. Um, is, is there a, a an example of other than your work a a good example of um art or I guess more specifically comics but if you don't have an answer for comics than just art of um the inner an, an intersection between um journalism and comics or journalism and art is there a good example that comes to mind
1: yeah, hold on. Let me go ahead and pull this up. But um, Durf, I always forget his last name. Um, he recently came out with a book called Kent State. Um, Durf, let me see. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, What was his name? Uh, Durf, uh, Back Durf. He yeah. recently came out with a graphic novel called Kent State, Four Dead in Ohio. And this, this book talks about, them um, in 1970, the Ohio National Guard, they ended up gunning down um, multiple unarmed college students for protesting the war in Kent State. And so he does a, a lot of work about, um, in this work, talking about this history of, um, for example, student protests, student protests against the war um, in the 1970s, and how the, the, the state, in the US ended up you know, uh, responding in an extremely violent way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, uh,
0: um, well, I sorry, I, I, I couldn't think of anything else to go from there. Um, but no, I just wanted to know if there was a good example of you know someone else who you had you would also look to. Um, but just to, to ah. give your work a, a, a compliment a bit, it, is that <laughs> it was very interesting to me when reading, and the one that I specifically noticed this on was it's titled, Leaving North Korea. and. <laughs> um, I, I obviously I kind of noticed it in other ones too, but for some reason that's the one where it stuck out to me was that the um when reading your comics, it, it is simultaneously it's, it feels like you're reading a newspaper article, but it also feels like you're reading, you know, a comic. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just, I don't know. I thought it was very, it's a very good job of like melding the two. Cause it, it like I said, it simultaneously feels like it is 100% both or fifth, completely 50, 50. It's not like it's a comic that, you know, has some, political you know journalistic value or it's not an article with some pictures it's like they feel very integrated and i yeah, think a exactly. really good way so i just wanted to oh, compliment thanks. you on that um is that something you've like is that over the time of making your comics because you have i i don't know um, um um i lost the tab um three six nine twelve fifteen eighteen 21 22 comics on your website right now so over the course of making those and that's been like nine years so yeah and this is
1: actually the vast majority of my work has been from a graphic novel series i haven't even published so this is only about like a fourth or a fifth of my actual work
0: well good (laughs) i was gonna say i'd love to see more but how over the course of that how is your um how, how, how do you think your process of, um, is there anything about your process that you think has really changed? Maybe not specifically yeah. artistic or writing things, but in the the way that you integrate your, the journalism and the comics at the same time.
1: So I, honestly, like earlier on in my career, I was I was still kind of trying to find my own voice in comics. Mm-hmm. And I was very, um, I wanted to have that kind of like Anthony Bourdain traveling to a place kind of, you know, top, Talk about a particular subject, but also kind of like produce this in a, a very like entertaining and enjoyable way. so a lot of my earlier work um, definitely leaned heavily towards memoir but then i I started to shift a little bit more in two thousand and fourteen when I was contacted by an editor from the nib who was interested in hiring me they were starting the publication the nib around that time and they were I, the editor's name is Ellery my Harris and she was interested in building a a kind of comics journalism um, kind of subset of comics within this publication and so through her mentorship at the publication i slowly started gravitating more and more towards journalism and so that even appeared more in my my memoir work i think even now as i i'm writing about chile in the tone of my more recent pages has definitely shifted almost towards like describing like current events in history versus oh, I'm in the, the Philippines, I'm, I'm going to and from school, I'm, you know, hanging out with my Filipino mom, and just, you know, just talking about things about life, and so that, definitely the tone of my work has changed, and I think even still, after I finish this work about Chile, I, I'm not sure if I would pursue memoir again for another book, and it's not because I don't like the medium, but I feel like, I, I feel like Talking about myself is complete. I don't I don't want to be the main character in my, in my stories anymore. And I would rather just focus on other people mm-hmm. and to, to elevate their voice. So I definitely have seen partially partially through mentorship of a particular editor. And then also too, just just becoming more interested more grounded within uh, global politics and what's happening in the world, and then just realizing that like. We don't have to be the main character of our own stories, and if we if we have a microphone, other people need to be using it. And so when
0: you, you we've um, you mentioned a couple times your memoir, The American Immigrant. Um, it's not out yet. Um, yeah. Where um, first of all, I mean, do you have a is when when would that come out? And then my second question is, um, well, I mean, you know, is it like a couple of years off, or pretty I, do you not know? is it kind like, of your is it I guess this question ties into that. Is this yeah. based off of a lot of your reporting? Is that all included in the same thing?
1: So it's a lot of this, um, this work is, is in parallel to a lot of my reporting that I, I usually publish online. So for example, I might be talking about some of the stories and some of the places I've traveled to, to interview people, but I'm also expressing this kind of more as a memoir, with mm-hmm. my own kind of point of view while I'm doing this. Um, so, as far as the, the work and publication, I was previously represented by a literary agent in 2014 that I parted ways a year later. But um, just, and so I, I was getting a lot of, of interest as far as, you know, people uh, reading the work and everything. But I definitely noticed a change and shifts of the rate of acceptance towards my work. It's not necessarily that it was changing a, a lot of the tone or anything like this, but um, just changing the location from South Korea to, to Chile, um, I mean, I, for, for my, my politics, I, I gen- generally identify as a democratic socialist who is very, very critical of, of imperialistic countries. Mm-hmm. By that extension, I, have, I do not have a very favorable opinion of China. And a, a lot of my views and, and a lot of my journalism when I was in South Korea, it runs kind of counter to, to China in this context. So I, I believe I found a lot more acceptance within certain publications in the US because of that. Mm. However, a lot of that tone dramatically shifted when I started to come to Chile and I started talking about history because all of a sudden a lot of the antagonists happens to be the US in in this part of the world. Yeah, And all of a sudden a lot of doors were starting to quietly close and it's like, well, okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. so, I mean, I can say um, as a publisher, I'm definitely interested in it. Um, I yeah. think I don't. I think any publisher should be because it's it's a very unique, um, unique take. But so, I, um, do you? I guess how is it? I I get. I don't know if this is more of a personal question or not. But mm-hmm. how okay. like whenever you leave, like whenever you decide to move, is that kind of like. Um, when you're done or when you're done, like when you're like, Hey, I want to move somewhere else. Or is that kind of when I've, I've learned everything I can, I've reported on what I can, or is it maybe a mix of the two or those two kind of the same thing?
1: So it, it depends on the context, for example, in the Philippines, and I wrote a lot about this in my work was um, when I was living in the Philippines, I was paying off student loan debts Mm -hmm. in the U S but with a Filipino salary. Mm -hmm. And we're talking like, 100 to 150 U.S. dollars a month. Yeah, it's not paying a student loan, much less actually just the ability to, you know, to live. Yeah. in the Philippines. So I I ended up finding a job in South Korea, to to end up working there and just to try to save money to pay off uh, U.S. student loans. Um, and that that was quite a that was quite a dramatic move too. Um, I ended up not because at the time in the Philippines. Obviously I couldn't stay there. Uh, I didn't have enough money to afford a plane ticket back to the U.S. Not that I have much of a place to go back to the U.S. And so I only had one direction to go. I had to go to Korea because I had mm-hmm. found a job there. I was turned down for a visa originally in Korea. And um, like I said, I couldn't stay in the Philippines. So what I ended up doing was I ended up forging my... So my, I was turned down for my uh, for a visa because my university, would not publish or print my degree until six months after graduation because of budget cuts and to verify yeah. the degree for some reason. <laughs> so I ended up having to forge my, my degree in Photoshop, the degree I earned. Yeah. I had to travel to Japan with the last bit of my uh, money and get the visa from a, from a Korean consulate in Japan. Then I took the last of my money to get on a, a boat to travel from the port of Fukuoka in Japan to Busan in South Korea. Did not have any money and spent the three weeks traveling across the, the country to make it from Busan uh, to Seoul, which wow. is in the northern part of southern South Korea. Mm-hmm. Ended up getting really sick with hepatitis, ended up almost dying from it. <laughs> so that was my whole move from South Korea. From South Korea to Chile, it was because I had finished paying off student uh, loan debt. I had reached a point that I was quite comfortable and I could honestly just live the rest of my life in South mm-hmm. Korea maybe afford house someday, but I, I was still I saw the limits of my my teaching and in changing the education system as far as um, you know fighting against the, the best inequality for obtaining a free and equitable education for the poor. And so that's why I was very interested in student movements here in Chile. And that's why without knowing anybody here in Chile I decided to buy a plane ticket and move mm-hmm. here to study about these these student movements. So that's- yeah, yeah, that, it d- depends
0: on the context. Yeah, sometimes yeah. out of necessity, sometimes because of interest. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's really. That's just really. Um, I don't know. It just blows my mind. I w- it's something I like. I said earlier, it's something I wish I could do. Um, so we, like I said, we're running out of time. So I kind of have yeah. um, a few. I think I have three more rapid fire ish questions. Um, one, um, I lost it. Oh. Um, uh, this, uh, this might be, I don't, I don't really know if you have a good answer for this um, and probably, mm-hmm. especially not in a rapid fire context, but I'm going to ask anyway. Um,
1: do you have hope for the future? Yeah, absolutely. I think on my Twitter profile, I write, Eric Thurman is illustrating for a better future. Yes. Um, I, I do believe that, um, and, and something, something I always try to, to hold, uh, hold close to my heart to is that all the, these systems of abuse that we have in society there's hope for change. Like this idea that in Chile five years ago, this idea that we would replace the president with a student leader, someone who doesn't, wasn't even like wearing a shirt, right? You know, five yeah. years ago in a student protest, it's now this and his friends are, are senators of the country. The mm-hmm. change a, a constitution that was written by a dictatorship and that was enforced by essentially seven families here in Chile who who privatized the entire country and yeah, maybe they refer to Chile as an oasis, but yeah. Or even the case right now in the U.S. with the Amazon protein, uh, mm-hmm. unionization. Yeah. Where Chris Smalls and and he, his particular Amazon, and now Amazons all throughout the country are looking to unionize. You know, there there's always hope for massive change. We should never forget that. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it might seem like things are impossible, that we can never change things for the, the future, but really, it just... It feels impossible, but I if we have to think with the idea that this change is inevitable. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I think that's a, I think that's a good mentality that it's gonna change and, like I'll, I'll be optimistic it'll change for the better. Um yeah. second last question, what are you working on now? We've kind of touched on there's a lot of different things going on, or is there a specific event that you are currently doing research on, or is there anything happening in the world? Because we've talked about um, You know, there's a lot of things happening with education in the US, there's climate change, Ukraine, um, the rise of white supremacy worldwide. (laughs) Is there anything that you're particularly maybe not something you're researching, but just something really quickly that you're um, you're really interested in or that you really like to report on?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of my a lot of the things that I'm doing these days, um, I mentioned that I'm working with the Rosa Luxemburg uh, Stiftung, which is a, a German political party that that focuses on progressive politics. These days I'm looking more and more at this rise of authoritarianism all around the world, whether it be Bolsonaro in Brazil, whether it be Putin in Russia, the potential for a disastrous election cycle within 2022 and 2024 within the US. Um, and I'm honestly looking to to look in, in future work, I really want to focus on this rise of authoritarianism because I really feel like this decade the 2020s is looking. I mean, I'm optimistic, but at the same time, it's also with the realization that we may be, be moving into very dark times within mm-hmm. world history within the next few years. I want to start pursuing more work that analyzes a lot of movements all around the world that run counter to this authoritarianism movement that's that's sprouting up all throughout, uh, especially North America and Europe. But I also want to maintain focus on the global South too, and mm-hmm. how a lot of these battles are being fought outside of these particular continents. Um, I'm considering, honestly, within the next six months, begin starting to learn Arabic. I want to be more interested in the, the history of Tunisia and Lebanon, possibly to move there at some point, but I mm-hmm. still want to. This is where I find the direction of my work trying yeah. to. Yeah. Just kind of to.
0: whatever's going for you. Um, and so, last question uh, at the end of every interview, I always ask a question that is um, off topic, off the wall, just to catch people off guard or I don't know why I do it, but I do it. Um what was the last song that you sang out loud?
1: Oh, um uh, <laughs> Smash Mouth in the shower. Um okay. Smash Mouth, yeah, I know people are gonna be like, oh that's a horrible band. You're a horrible human being in person. But I I have a small place in my heart for them yeah. as far as being from San Jose and studying in San mm-hmm. Jose in California, they're local there. So yeah everybody can go hate me no that's okay. something <laughs> there you
0: go <laughs> mine was mine was uh brandy you're a fine girl by um i looked it up, looking glass um i oh, saying it today in in class because we put on a um they wanted music so i put on a 70s playlist and then that's one of the songs that came on and i sang out uh, to it and they hated it um no. so yeah it's what it is i i kind of i do it i i know i'm being cringy it's fine um no me too cool. anyway uh, <laughs> where can we find you online where can people go to find
1: you find your work anything like that so my, my website is ericthermancomics.com. Uh, my name is spelled E-R-I-K, uh, then Thurman, T-H-U-R-M-A-N, comics.com, um, where I post most of my online comics. Also coming up soon within the summer of um, this year, uh, I worked as a background artist for the animation Papa and Boy. This is a animation that mostly features about capitalism and hierarchy and the relationship between a son and a father who just wants that son to, to become a good boy, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna be debuting on a network called Means TV. And I also have a small comic coming out with uh, Rosa Luxemburg Stifton uh, that features the events of the, the, um, the Chilean social protests of 2019 and about the various art movements that sprung up during that time
0: well yeah, you have a lot going on um good deal um as always you know listeners can find foreign press comics or comics inscripted foreign press comics at um f press comics on twitter foreign press comics on instagram foreign press comics on facebook as well um and comics.com where we'd like you to subscribe to our newsletter so we can get to 100 people and i'll release the comic that is my um i don't know what the word is the thing that i have uh, i'm not it's 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 my greatest shame they will say that um Anyway, uh, thanks for coming on, Eric.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyler. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the conversation. Yeah, have a good one.